All right. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, it's great hearing you be friendly. I love the sound of uh, the friendliness of Seacoast. And uh, if you are new here, my name is Pastor Dale. I'd love to meet you out in the plaza afterwards as well. It's my privilege, along with Pastor Ryan, to teach you the Word and to explore God's truth together. So welcome. Welcome to Seacoast. And let me pray. Can I, can I pray for our time? Father God, thank you for our time together today. Thank you for the chance to worship you in song and uh, in prayer and other ways. But Father, now we want to worship you by listening to you. Uh, we want you to speak into our lives as only you can from your word. So we love you. We love your word. We thank you for your love for us that prompted you to leave us uh, the scriptures that we can live by. So we love you and we study it together today in Christ's name. Amen. We are moving into a new section in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, open it up, okay? Open it up or turn on your Bible app, whichever you're using, to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. Let me just set the context first, because as we move into the rest of this spring, this is one of my favorite parts of the book. So I am pretty jazzed on this. I want you to get excited about it and invite your friends. It's a great time to enter into the book that we're studying, even though we're five chapters in. Why do I say that? The context is Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 21, a section that I call extreme faith. And there's a series of really challenging, extreme, but yet exciting messages that we're going to be looking at. Here's what's coming. Today, we're going to explore what love looks like when it's applied as a lifestyle in every action in the first two verses. But then in coming weeks, we're going to look at purity, but not just purity from external behavior, but Purity from the inside out. We're going to look at light in a world of darkness. We'll look at wisdom for every decision. How do you use your time wisely? How, what's it mean to live with wisdom, to walk in wisdom? And finally, we'll look at a passage that describes what I call power you can see. People say, okay, where's the power of God in my life? We're going to show you what it is that actually displays or puts the power of God on display in, in and around us. So it's a great section of the book. Uh, I even get more excited because right after this, we take these principles of what it means to live with love, purity, light, wisdom, and power, and then we're going to apply those to marriage, to parenting, to the workplace, and to friendships. So it's a great section this coming spring, so I just want you to know what's coming. Today, however, we're going to move into the section of this book on what it means uh, to really love. Before I go any further, though, let me just take you back in your childhood. If you were gathering for like a group party, let's pretend you're in the third grade, all right, fourth grade, maybe fifth grade. So if you're a kid and you're gathering, what, what are some games that you would have played when it was like party time when you were young? Answer? Hide and go seek. Okay, there we go. Uh, anyone else? You guys were a pretty boring bunch. Come on now, huh? What's that? Freeze tag, I remember that one, yeah, that was right up there with kick the can, remember that? Yeah, okay, so there are all kinds of different party games. If you're in the house and it's a cold winter day, can't go outside to play, what are you likely to play? Scrabble, okay, that's another exciting party, but anyway, I'm just, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, you're smarter than I am, I was never very, very good at Scrabble, okay, I'm not making fun of you, okay. One of my favorite ones was... What if, what if you tried to imitate something? You, you draw a card out of a basket or out of a hat, and, 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 and there's a word on that card, and you have to, without saying a word, you have got to 
imitate it so well that people guess what it is. What's that called? Charades. Thank you very much. I was waiting for someone to, to bring that one out. So let me talk to you about charades. For example, when I was a kid, if I'm playing charades and I draw a, a card and I go like this, it's a thing, and I go, what is it? What? Someone said it. Snake. Very good. Snake. Okay. So if I draw a card and I look at it and I go like this. Elephant. Very good, Sheila. Okay, good. We got some charades players here. Can I have a volunteer to come up and play charades with me? I'm not, I'm not going to take that risk. Some of you are too dangerous. Okay. Yeah. So you get the, you get the idea. But what if you were playing that game and you drew a card and it said this? What would you do? Without saying a word, how would you make people guess that you're imitating God? It's kind of a challenging card, isn't it? But we're going to talk about that. Because we all talk about, as followers of Jesus, living godly lives, right? It's a common phrase. You want to have more godliness. We want to be like Jesus. So how do you imitate God? What's that look like? And do we have any chance of actually pulling it off? Or do you think, okay, Dale, that may work in a game, but in everyday life, there's no way I can imitate God. I'm going to show you today that there is. Okay? Interested? All right, let's go. Let's go to our passage, and we'll see that that is exactly what this passage is about. Listen to the Word of God. Listen to me read as you follow along. Ephesians 5, Therefore, in light of who we are in Christ, in light of this new person that we are, therefore, be imitators, there's the word, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That the command of the day is that we actually imitate God. Now in the context, this word imitate, it's a Greek word that's used seven times in the New Testament. Every other time it's used, it's usually used and translated by the word follow. But what it's always talking about is follow my example. In fact, one passage, Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ. And it's the same word. So what he's talking about here is living out our lives in such a way as followers of Jesus Christ that we literally are, as we follow God, we actually imitate and, and display God as we imitate Him. So that is exactly the challenge of the day. So how do we do it? When you look at verses 1 through 2, it should come as no surprise that as God starts to introduce this idea of how do you imitate God, He doesn't start with a list of rules and laws. He doesn't say, go to the Ten Commandments and obey all those commandments. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this so you can imitate God. Instead, it makes perfect sense that what does He highlight? What pops to the top is the topic of love. In fact, that's the, that's the topic of the rest of today's passage, is that we imitate God as we love like God. We're going to unpack that and understand how we can do that. Here we go. How do you love like God and in doing so actually imitate Him and put Him on display to those that you work with, go to school with, live with? Let's talk about it. Number one, 
Number one, you can do it first because it's in your new genes. I'm not talking about your blue genes. I'm talking about your genes, your DNA. It's in your DNA as a follower of Jesus. If you've come to faith and put your faith in Christ, one of the things the Scripture teaches is having believed you become a child of God. So that's the key phrase. It's in your genes and that we are to imitate Him as beloved children. That's the phrase. Now the reason he starts with that, I think, is that's our only hope of pulling this off. If it's just a matter of being religious, there's no way you can be more religious and imitate God. You can't do that. But he says your hope is the fact that you can imitate God because you're one of God's kids. So it makes sense that although you maybe don't do a great job imitating him in the beginning, but as you grow up in the faith, as you mature in the faith, as a child of God, it makes sense that you look and live a little more like your dad. I had a classic example or illustration of this uh, this past week. Uh, I had the unfortunate uh, tragedy that Becky and I went through about uh, about a week, a little over a week ago. We got the call that uh, uh, the the man, a man named Roger Clay, who is a uh, longtime friend of ours. We've known Roger for 38 years. Roger was in my very first church, helped us run our youth camps, uh, helped us do missions. Uh, he's just one of these guys who we stayed in touch with over the years. Um, I got the call that Roger's wife, Virginia, or Jenny as we know her, was involved in, a, in, a, in a, a car that she was a passenger for some unknown reason. It ran off, ran off a country road into a tree, and she was killed virtually instantly. And they asked if I would come back and do the funeral for my my dear friend, and, and uh, so I flew back there to do that. But in the context of that, I spent a lot of time with Roger and his kids and his family. I know all of his kids um, from my past ministries. And we spent a lot of time together after the funeral at their home, and someone brought out a box of pictures from the 1980s when we did youth ministry together. Uh, and there were pictures from the very first year we met them in 81, 82, 83, all the way till we left to move to California in 89. And I went year by year from 1982 to 1989 looking at these pictures where we were running these youth camps together, having fun together. And in those pictures, there was a, there was a picture. I should have popped it up on the screen. But it was a picture of my family and Becky and my three kids sitting with Roger and Jenny and their family and their three kids. And, and, and we were sitting um, uh, on a vacation together just out in a park. And, and, I, and I took a picture of the picture and I, and I emailed it back. Uh, I actually texted it back to my wife, but also to my son and my daughter because they were in the picture. And I found out later that my son up in Fullerton, he took that picture and, in, the, and in, this, in this photo, he was about three years old, and he took this picture and he showed it to his three-year-old boy. And, and, and he pointed to the picture and he kind of blew it up on his computer and he said, he pointed to the lady in the picture and he said, who's that? And guess what? He said, that's Nani. That's my wife. That's Becky. That's, that's my Nani. Which proves, by the way, Becky was proud of that, that she still looks today like she looked in 1983. Isn't that pretty cool? Yeah, 1984 actually. So my wife is as beautiful as she was in 1984 and her grandchildren know it. So that's pretty cool. But then he pointed to the little three-year-old boy in the picture and he said, who's that? What do you think he said? He said, that's me. Now, you know, 
as a three-year-old, he doesn't do the math very well, okay? You know, no, this is 1984. You were not around yet. I'm pointing to your daddy. And he says, no, 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 that's me. Because if you hold a picture of my son and my grandson side by side at age three, they look almost identical. They look almost identical. Why? Because they share the same genes. And, and, and in this passage, when he talks about, I want you to imitate God. I want you to grow up to be an imitation of God, to be a, a clone of God in that sense. I want you to imitate, or it actually is the Greek word that could be translated mimic God. So I want you to, to, to mimic God in your life. It's, it's because, not so much physically, but spiritually, God is in your genes. When we sing these songs that Paige had us singing, we are a child of God. This is the implication of that worked out, is we can imitate God because we're His kids. And as you grow up, we become a little more like God. It's actually possible. It's in the genes. Number two, not only is it in the genes, if it's in the genes, then he says, I want you to imitate God, not at a high point in life, but as a lifestyle. Notice he uses this phrase, and walk in love. So as a beloved child of God, in your genes, imitate God as you walk in love. Now this phrase, walk in love, if you've been studying Ephesians with us, you know that it popped up first in chapter 4, verse 1. After teaching who we are in Christ, new person with new life and a new family, right? Chapters 1 through 3, chapter 4, 1 said, Therefore now, walk worthy of your calling. Walk worthy of who you are in Christ. And we studied the fact that anytime you see the word walk, it's talking not about something to do every once in a while. It's something to do as a lifestyle. And in this case, it's walk in love. In the coming passages, we're going to see in verse 8, walk in the light. We're going to see in verse 15, walk in wisdom. It's going to be about our daily walks. So this is talking about life transformation, not just in a moment, but as a lifestyle. Don't miss it. He's not calling us to love as a program. He's talking about love as a presence wherever God plants you, your daily work, your school, your neighborhood, those everyday places in every way. It's great that we uh, as a church do things to love Encinitas. We did a community serve day just back about three or four weeks ago. We did a community serve day uh, back the last week of February. Remember that? kind of canceled our worship and we worshiped out there as we loved on the city that's great to do as a program that's not what this is about some of you will sign up to give or to pray or to even go to africa to tanzania or later this year with me maybe back to rwanda and tanzania or congo that's a program and it's great that you sign up to love on the world in the name of christ we want to love local love global that's how we think as a church but that's not what this passage is about This passage is about our lifestyle. It grows out of our genes. He wants us to be loving as a lifestyle. Number three, third observation, look at the passage. He says, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Point. Just as Christ loved you. That is, look to Jesus as the model. When you read the life of Christ, you watch how Jesus acted, how he lived, how he interacted with people. That's where we learn. That's what God actually wants us to do. Now, some of you, uh, like me, that when you think about Jesus, the very first thing your mind goes to are the big events. Okay, walking on water, healing the sick, raising the dead. Most of you will not be very good at any of that. Okay, that's not what he's saying when he says, 
be like Jesus. He's not asking you to walk on water. He's not asking you to, to, uh, to, to do any of that. You can't feed 5,000 people with two you know, loaves and fishes. Um, what he is talking about, though, is the role model of Jesus modeling love. So you just kind of watch how Jesus dealt with people, how Jesus made time for people when he was busy, how Jesus listened to people, how Jesus noticed what they needed and went out of his way to meet that. How Jesus would serve the needs of his disciples and those around him. See, Jesus lived this lifestyle of loving. And that's really what he's challenging us to do. So it's not so much even the big moments and the big things. It's Jesus is the model. Do it as a lifestyle because it's in your genes. Get that? But now, now the passage, for me at least gets even more interesting because what he's saying is this. You are never more like God than when you imitate Jesus. So if you want to play charades as a lifestyle and say, how do I live in such a way that I am imitating God? Just think Jesus. How did Jesus treat people? How did he love on people? Uh, as a lifestyle, okay? So you're never more like God than when you imitate Jesus. But now the passage goes on and gives us this truth. You're never more like Jesus than when you sacrifice for others. I'll say it again. You are never more like Jesus than when you sacrifice yourself for others. How do I know that? It's right in God's Word. Notice, he keeps building his truth for us. Walk in love, do it just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering, a sacrifice to God. See, it's when Jesus on the cross, Jesus willing to give even his life, Jesus sacrificing himself for us, that's now beginning to kind of focus us on what love is really all about if we really want to understand it. So you look to Jesus as the model. The way I capture this is that sacrifice is the essence. Sacrifice is the essence. You know, this word love gets so confused in our culture, doesn't it? If I were to ask you to define love coming in the door, you would have given me a lot of different definitions. I read uh, one person, for example, said, love is the feeling you get when you get the feeling you never felt before. Can I slow that down? Love is the feeling you get when you get the feeling you've never felt before. See, that's romantic love, right? Other people would say, well, no, love is... Um, kindness or love is is you know there's different uh, different thoughts about love you know so when you, when you look at our culture when we say I love you or when we say I want to love what do we really mean because it can mean everything from a sexual relationship to to a relationship of kindness to a feeling that we get that comes and goes I mean, in our culture, love is such a confused idea. We talk about getting bit by the love bug. So now love is like an insect that you need to avoid, right? Or that you want to attract, depending on where you are in life. Okay? We have all kinds of weird sayings about love. We talk about falling in love. So now love is like a ditch, right? <laughs> it's like a ditch. If you're not careful, you're going to fall into it. So, you know, love is, you know, is love a ditch? Is love an insect? You know, what is love? Or is love a feeling? And, and when this passage challenges us, you imitate God 
Not when you feel something. You imitate God when you are more like Jesus in how you treat people. And you imitate Jesus when you sacrifice. That it seems like this sacrificial aspect is the focus. Love as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us. So this week, this kind of challenged my life because I'm thinking, uh, Dale, I need some illustrations. Uh, When was the last time I loved like Jesus? When was the last time I loved to the point of sacrifice? Now, I consider myself, by God's grace, a pretty loving guy. I like meeting new people. I like trying to help people. I like trying to love on people in in a very helpful way. I love serving people. Um, But this challenged me. Because now I had to think, when did I actually sacrifice something to love someone recently? Um, I told you I just spent last week um, flying back to... uh, Ohio to do the funeral for my friend and um, it was a joy to do it but it was tough Um, her husband Roger really is a brother to me Um, for 35 years once a year he trout fishes with me for a week in West Virginia it's a trout fishing trip that's for me my brothers and Roger Clay because he's become like one of the brothers so Incredibly painful uh, to process what God was teaching me through that week. But on the way home, um, let me just tell you a a short story that happened and and try to illustrate this, um, uh, how there's different levels of love. On the way home, um, my flight got delayed in Columbus, Ohio. I was trying to go from Columbus to Chicago, Chicago to San Diego. I was supposed to get home at 7 p.m., uh, be home with my wife, and uh, and I was eager to get here. Um, after two flight delays, and uh, I ended up getting here at about 2 a.m., a little different plan. But the first delay was in Columbus. We boarded the plane. And we're getting ready to take off. Um, I have flown enough that I, and I'm going carry on and I got a bag and I know I got to get on. You get on pretty quick when you're going carry on and you know, there's limited one of those small jets, you know, there's only so much overhead baggage and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty shrewd at getting to the front of the line somehow, usually ethically, but anyway, that's another sermon. (laughs) But anyway, I I didn't cheat and lie and say, "I, I think that's my number. No. Okay. But, but I'm making sure that when my number's called, I'm in the front of the line. So I get on, I put my bag up overhead, and I sit down, and, and there's one seat beside me, and it's empty, and the plane begins to load, and it's a sold-out flight, so I know there's someone coming, and someone coming, but nobody comes, nobody comes, and then right toward the end, this college-age gal gets on, and she comes dragging this big, pink, hard-cased carry-on, and I already know carry-ons are full. She's going to have to gate-check that thing, and I, you know what, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, this, this girl needs to learn you know, so, so she'll learn her lesson, you know, so, um, so, you know, the bottom line is she ends up having to gate check her bag and she sits down comes back, sits down beside me and I start talking to her and I, and I ask her, so where are you headed? And, and she said, uh, well, I'm headed for Japan. And I said, Japan. Wow. I said, that's quite a flight. Have you been there before? She says, I've never been there before and I've never even been on a plane. 
and she looks terrified. And there's some stormy weather going on. And I said, hey, that's okay. Just think of me as your grandfather. And I trust me, these, these flights are smooth and quick. And you're not going to have any trouble. You're going to love it. She says, okay, okay. So then we pull out. We get to the, to the jetway. We literally are in the runway. We're literally next in line to throw the juice to that thing and take off, right? And all of a sudden, the pilot comes on and he says, uh, 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 excuse me, but this is your pilot, and I just need to tell you that we just had a warning light come on for one of our engines. So we, I think you would prefer that I go back to the gate and get this checked out. And everybody's like, well, yeah, I think so. So I look at her and she's like, just my luck, you know. So we go back to the airport. He checks out the engine. We sit there for about 30 minutes. And I say, how's your connection? Is your connection tight? Because mine is. And, and I say, yeah, my connection is tight. But turns out her connection is just about as tight as mine. But I'm going to San Diego. She's going to Japan. And um, all of a sudden, I could, t- I could see she just got more and more worried. Uh, so the bottom line is... Um, we have to deplane. She gets her bag. Uh, eventually, she gets her bag. She hopes that doesn't happen again. We start to replane, and I'm thinking, I'm sure she's learned her lesson. You know, uh, I get on. I put my bag up. She gets on. Sure enough, here it comes again. There's no place for her bag. You know, and, and I'm thinking, okay, she should learn her lesson. But no, I didn't think that. I thought differently. This is not a huge sacrificial story of love, but at least I cared. At this point, I've kind of got to know her, and I know she's headed. She needs a tight connection. She needs to have that bag, you know. So I get up. I get out of my seat. I go back a few rows. I ask a few people, hey, can I move your bag here and your bag here and your bag here? And I, I do the little move it around thing, and next thing you know, I open up one slot, and I say, let me have your bag, and I get her bag, and I take it back there, and I put it, and I said, you're good. You're good. And she sits beside me. We have a delightful flight, and we have a chance to talk and get to know each other a little bit, you know. And, and uh, we don't go real deep on spiritual things, but by the time she's getting off the plane, she says, do you have a business card? Because, you know, when I get back, I wouldn't mind contacting you and continuing this conversation. You know, but all I did was simply help a gal get her bag overhead. And that's kind of entry-level love. It's just being observant of people around you, see a need, and help them out. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when I look at this passage, I don't think that's where God wants us to stop. So I kind of put some thought in this week to what are the different levels of love? And let me show them to you real quick, and then we'll kind of have some fun talking about how you illustrate it. Number one is what I call loving when it's nice and easy. I've given you this in your outline in that box at the bottom. That's, that's, what, that's what I did. Did it cost me anything? No. I just had to get out of my crazy seat and help the gal, right? And, 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 and a lot of times, though, every day of our life, there's probably a dozen times every day when you have a chance to simply be kind, be nice, and help somebody out. And I think that pleases God. I don't think this passage is saying that that's not a good thing to do. But a lot of times we can love just by being nice, and it's even easy. Not a lot of sacrifice. How do I know that pleases God? Well, I think of Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8, where it says, hey, as a lifestyle, don't just look out for your own needs. Look out for the interests of others. Consider others more important than yourself. 
because Jesus did that for us. You know, so I think anytime you're seeing a need and considering others more important than you, then for heaven's sakes, get into action and begin to love like Jesus. But then there's other times when it's a little more inconvenient. Now I've got to give up something. For example, what if I had said, using my silly illustration, what if I had said, okay, there's no room for her bag overhead unless I take my bag and jam it under my feet and put hers where mine is? I could have done that. Now I'd rather go and kick everybody else's bags around. That was more fun. But anyway, but you know, it could have been I would give up my comfort of having my big old bag over there. That's a little inconvenient, and that's a, a different type of love. But love often calls for us to inconvenience ourselves. I've got to change my agenda. I've got to change my preferences. I've got to give up my way of doing it and let someone else be served. That's a little better form of loving like Jesus. But let's go up another layer. Then you have love that's costly. See, what if the only way to get her to her connection would have been she couldn't even get on the flight? And they said, was anybody willing to miss their flight so we can get this gal to Japan? Would I give up my seat risk spending the night at the Columbus airport to get her on her way. See, that begins to cost me a little something, doesn't it? See, when Becky and I are trying to love one another in our marriage, there's times in which in order to love my wife, I give something up. And and it costs me a little something. I remember a few years ago, Becky and I really wanted to buy a certain gift for our kids for Christmas. There's no way we could afford it. And we looked at each other and we said, you know something, here's an idea. What, what about us buy, why don't we buy nothing for one another this year and take that money and let's buy this for our kids? You know, that's a little different. At least there's some cost and that cost enables me to love because I'm willing to give up a little bit of time, energy or money. If you keep working it up, though, this passage uses this word, sacrifice. And that's when it really gets a little sticky. That when I begin to sacrifice as a form of love, now I'm giving up time, energy, or money. I'm giving up my preferences. And I'm actually beginning to pay a price for it. In other words, now I'm not just loving because I've got some surplus time, some surplus energy you know, to love, but now the only way I can do this is if I give something up. You know, occasionally Becky and I over the years have thought about uh, some of the people we meet in Africa, for example, and we really want to help support their training. We want to help support some of these pastors. And we have to look at each other and we say, okay, we can do it, But just, it's at a point now, you know, because we do a lot of giving, a lot of our giving, to be honest, is out of surplus. It's because we've arranged our budget where we can give, and it, you know, it it does cost us something, but I'm not really sacrificing anything, except I've planned well, and I've saved, and kept our budget under control. That's giving out of my surplus money that God gives to me. But other times, we say, you know, we can help this person, but let's go... Let's give up this or that in order to do that. In order to do that. A few years back, we were, I was in a, uh, a campaign to try to build a building at one of the churches I pastored, and I learned about uh, a gal that was a friend of Becky's whose husband was not a Christian, but she really wanted to give. She wanted to give to help accomplish this objective of our church. And... Um, 
and I noticed that uh, she was giving a nice little check that she was giving every month. And I came to learn that she actually signed up to clean uh, two other people's homes. Now, she's a, a mom with a couple little babies, stay-at-home mom, but she said, I can take my kids with me. She had a couple friends that were working outside of the, the home, and they needed someone to clean house for them one day a week. And she said, you know, what if I clean your house, and um, I'll be happy to do that for a couple years. And she signed up to clean their home for a couple years, and I'm thinking maybe she tithed that, gave a tenth of that to help meet this objective. What I found out later years later, was she actually gave 100% of what she made just for that purpose. See, that's sacrifice. That's, that's the kind of spirit that I think is behind love and like Jesus. And then this passage actually says Jesus sacrificed, having given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. And now you realize sometimes you don't just sacrifice, but the sacrifice is painful. It costs me something to the point that it hurts. I give my time, I give my energy, I give my money, I do something, I do an act of kindness or service to somebody else, and I, and I know this is going to hurt. And as, I, and as I look at these steps, I don't want to give the impression that just being nice and loving people as a lifestyle when it's fairly easy or maybe just inconvenient or has a little bit of cost, I don't want to give the impression that doesn't honor God. I think God is pleased. Sometimes Jesus did things that weren't extremely costy, costly, but he just stopped. He noticed people and he loved on them. Man, I think to me that's the number one challenge in this passage. But then there's the other passage. The other challenge is, but Dale, also are you willing... To sacrifice, are you willing to make a sacrifice that maybe even hurts in order to do what God is asking you to do? And that plays out in a thousand different ways. It plays out in my relationship first, in my marriage, or I would say your friendships or your marriage. Are you willing, are you willing to give up something that you feel you have a right to? in order to love and serve the person called your husband, your wife, your kids? Are you willing to make a sacrifice? That's the question. That's the question, really, of the morning. And, and if you begin to do that, can we imagine? Imagine with me how much better marriages get. When a husband and a wife, the biggest thing they ever fight over is who gets to sacrifice. Who gets to sacrifice? A few years ago... Becky and I were having dinner together. She knows that one of our favorite foods is coconut shrimp. If I can just illustrate, we, uh, they brought us an odd number of coconut shrimp, which no restaurant should ever do when serving a husband and a wife. So we both lovingly just kind of shared it together, and it came down to one big, delicious-looking jumbo-sized shrimp. And I looked at Becky and she looked at me. I said, honey, you got one shrimp left. What would Jesus do? <laughs> Thinking she would say, you can have it. I was just giving her a chance to be the more spiritual person. <laughs> you know what she said to me? Jesus wouldn't even ask. And then she grabbed it and threw it down. Yeah. 
Yeah. So she gave me a chance to be Jesus. Although, by the time I asked her if I could have it, I'd already blown that. So anyway, okay. There's no Jesus around the table that day. I think Becky and I both failed the test. But anyway. But you know, the idea is, seriously, how many times every day throughout the day, with co-workers, in your marriage, in your neighborhood, do you have little or small ways in which God opens an opportunity for you to love that person? To help, serve, give. Sometimes we can do it out of our surplus. We need to do more of that. Other times, we do it out of sacrifice. So whether it's out of surplus, nice and easy, or whether it's out of sacrifice, even if it's going to be kind of painful, God says, imitate me. Imitate me. You say, Dale, this is kind of challenging. Well, if you think it's challenging, then what we need is a better motivation. Because if I'm not really motivated to do this, I've got to tell you, out of my core selfishness, I will choose me. I will choose me. And I will not choose sacrifice. So where's the deeper motivation come from? And that's the beauty of God's Word. He addresses not only what we're supposed to do, how we can do it, because loving like Jesus is actually in your genes. It's who you are as a Christ follower. It's not only to be done as a lifestyle, it's not only to be done by being willing to pay a price, to even sacrifice, uh, it's, it's done for a deeper motivation. Look at the last phrase of the passage, verse 2. He says, you are to love like Jesus, who loved you, gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. A fragrant aroma to who? To the person you're loving? Talk to me. Look at God's Word. To God. You do it as a sacrifice to God. See, on the surface you think, I'm going to do this to sacrifice for my wife. I want to do it to sacrifice for my friends. I want to do it to sacrifice for you as a church or someone that has a need. You know, and that's cool to want to do it for them. But what happens when the people around you that you say, you know, I think I'll make a sacrifice and I want to love you and serve you. And you do it and they don't even notice. Or you do it, worse yet, and they don't even like what you did. You ever had that happen? I have. So what happens when you do something to show love, even sacrificial love, and the other person doesn't appreciate it and they don't respond? What usually happens to the next time that opportunity rolls around again? Answer? You hesitate. See, I don't even go, you're more godly than me. I don't hesitate. I don't do it. Yeah, I hesitate. And perhaps I don't even do it. Because I think, you know something, they didn't even appreciate it. They, don't, they didn't even appreciate what I did for them. So why should I do it again? And that's how marriages fall apart. That's how families fall apart. That's how friendships fall apart. Is when all the loving that we do is conditional on them appreciating it and responding and loving us back. You see that? But this type of love is different. Because now my motivation is I want to do this as an offering and sacrifice to my 
God who loved me and died for me on the cross, who loves me with a perfect love. That's my motivation. So now, loving my wife, Becky, if I do it not just to please Becky and have a better marriage, which indirectly is for me, right? Okay, I'm the beneficiary of that. If I'm loving my wife only to please my God, whether she loves me back or not, now you've got a powerful form of love. Now you're loving extremely. Now you're loving like Jesus. Jesus loved us as a gift. That's what this is talking about. So make loving others one of the ways that you show your love for God. When you do it then, if you do it for Him, He always sees it. He always appreciates it. He even promises in His Word that He rewards it. It never goes unnoticed. And you have the chance to show your love for the one who first loved you and loves you every day of your life with His grace. Now that sets me up to imitate God. Pray with me. Father, help us to uh, be motivated to love like Jesus, to be willing even to sacrifice, uh, to pay a price, even if it's a little painful, Father. Help us to uh, look for chances to love when it's easy, love when it's convenient, but also love when it's inconvenient. Love when it hurts. Love when we have to sacrifice our time, our money, our desires, our preferences. And Father, through this, make us people who love extremely as we've been loved by you. God, we confess that we've got a long way to go to love like this. I know I do. So I want to remind us all, Father, of your grace and your love for us that's not conditioned upon how well we love. It's conditioned on how well you love us. Thank you that you love us by your grace, even when we're being selfish, self-centered little people. But help us to grow out of that. To grow up to be like our dad who loved us so much that he gave his best for us. May we do that for one another. May we do that for the people that we live with and around and work with, go to school with. Make us imitators of our God. And Father, as we give now, uh, while wow, use these gifts to be one more expression, that we love you so much that we sacrifice to give to you. We don't just give out of our surplus. We even give uh, when it calls sacrifice, calls for us to give. We give, Father, most of all, though, as an act of worship, as an expression of our love to you. In Christ's name, amen.